right, welcome back to Cover Stories B-Sides. Uh, today, we have a special guest, uh, Jason, the owner of Gold Coffee. How's it going? Going well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. This is going to be fun. I think so, yeah. Uh, we are going to be talking about Jawbox's cover of Tori Amos' song, Cornflake Girl. So we always start this off the same way. Why this song? Uh, well, Jawbox is probably my all-time favorite band. Um, and the first time I heard this song, I actually didn't know it was a cover. Um, and so when I was tasked with finding my favorite cover, it was between this and two others. And this was this was easily the one I had to go with. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I have talked to people who like Jawbox and I told a friend that we were going to talk about this and he had no idea that it was a cover also. <laughs> and uh, I've seen like retrospectives, especially when the reissue came out of the of their self-titled, like, I think it was 2015. I think it was Pitchfork or Consequence of Sound somewhere. They, did, uh, they were just talking about how they are fans of Tori Amos and they appreciate Tori Amos, but this version's better. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I think it's shocking. I, I can't imagine too many Jawbox fans being also Tori Amos fans, at least, <laughs> at least maybe as intensely, but, um, I actually heard the cover before the original. And when I finally went and listened to the original to me, it was like, Oh yeah, this, I would have never thought to cover this song. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's a, it's a pretty interesting rework. I feel. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I was reading about the kind of like genesis of how it started and they were kind of just messing around uh, in the, uh, I don't know if it was in a recording booth or if it was just a practice and they started playing this and I think the guitarist uh, was like, oh, we should we should cover this song kind of as a joke. <laughs> but then uh, Jay Robbins, the, the singer, was kind of like, the more they got into it, the more he's like, oh no, this song is very complex it's very interesting and for sure they're both on they were both on atlantic at the time and they're both from maryland so like oh this would be kind of like a little <laughs> cute way of uh you know setting us up with this cover <laughs> yeah no i think i mean it's brilliant honestly and it sounds like a Jawbox song i mean it for that record especially it's very appropriate yeah definitely i think um so Jawbox is, is a band is a band that like i always had heard of and knew of and it wasn't until they reunited again in 2019 mm-hmm. that i really started trying to listen to yeah and i i don't know what i was expecting i guess because jawbox jaw sounds like jawbreaker yeah i thought they were going to be a little bit more like that but i was like no this is kind of it's so interesting because when you look at their history it's so clear the path that they've taken because they came out of the DC hardcore scene. Yeah. They, they were on discord records, you know, they, yeah. they were one of two bands to actually get signed to major from discord. So they sound like the DC sound. They also sound a little grungy. It's yep. like post grunge. And then they also transitioned to Jay Robbins is a big producer braids like first few albums in mm-hmm. Hey Mercedes sounds so much like the guitar work is so similar. Yeah, I'd agree. It's so angular and complex, right? It's complex, but it also has this pop sensibility to it where, Even as a musician, when I've tried to dissect it, it's like, oh, these are really interesting chords because they're just reharmed versions that I don't even think. I I feel like I've read articles where he talks about like sometimes we just put our fingers where we think it sounds cool and it works. And even that record specifically where that one's on articles I've read, they, they literally wrote it around the drummer. That drummer would come in and play beats and they would write music to it. That's awesome. Um but yeah, I, I mean, listening to that stuff from from the beginning, it's so much different. I feel their first album, first two albums, pre Atlantic, were way more uh, uh, way more simple as far as it was almost like that Shudder to Think era kind of like weird chords, but still had it was driving. It was more angry. You could tell they were coming from this punk background. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know, man. I I'm in love with this band anyway. So it's, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, their whole career is very um, interesting just to look at. And I was listening to, I was no, I was reading uh, an article where they're talking to to Jay Robbins, and he was talking about the album before this was kind of their big hit. This is like yep. their breakout, and they they signed to Atlantic with that album, and they booked seven weeks, and they're like, what are we gonna do with the other six weeks? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then that the producer, I can't remember the producer's name, but he really like taught them like everything that they needed to know and they were he was so meticulous and so specific what you know they would do take after take after yeah. take and it drew them crazy but it also prepared them for their, their final album the yeah. self-titled and they took a lot of what they, they knew with that from that the previous album uh recording to what they did with jailbox too. i think so they put out an ep too of some of the songs i i believe it may have been before the record before their first major and it has a couple of the songs almost like in demo form. And it's wacky to see. I, I feel like if you listen to that first Atlantic record, to me, it doesn't sound like a pop album. It doesn't sound like a discord band got signed to a major yeah. and got polished. And people are like, what, what is this? <laughs> but if you listen to the earlier versions, you can hear this, like you can hear where production favored them. I think, I mean, the raw versions are cool too, but, um, I don't know. Even I, I had read on their first tour, the tour, the first Atlantic tour, they toured with Stone Temple Pilots. Oh wow! <laughs> which was such a weird pairing. Um, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen that tour. Yeah, yeah. I think, and it's funny because I, I always with, with the post grunge acts, especially like like Stone Temple Pilots. Those are always like the '90s has always been like my. That's where I kind of got into music. Yeah. And I was little, but I remember being absorbing it. And Stone Temple Pilots, especially, were like the cooler like post grunge band. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and I feel like they could hang and, and learning about, especially like now with like Dave Grohl talks a lot about the DC punk scene and mm -hmm. like, oh, like these guys know what they're talking about. For from, sure. Not just from a pop sensibility, but from, you know, from their, their roots as well. It's yeah. pretty cool to, to go back and listen to you. I think so. I mean, it's easy having grown up like that too. I mean, I remember Green Day. Green Day was like the first punk band I think I heard as like an 11 year old maybe. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, Green Day sold out. They're on a major. They're this, they're that. And, like, you go back and you start listening to Green Day and you're like, God, like, they didn't sell out. They just had someone make them sound better, right? Yeah. And even with stuff like this, it's to me, that's it's cool to be able to go back and hear those things and realize, like, oh, these guys listened and were influenced to the bands that I'm listening to because I started by listening to this band, right? I'd never heard uh what uh, like government issue or yeah. teen idols or anything like that until i discovered jawbox and then started going backwards and like what's what's fugazi what's minor threat what's all this discord dc stuff that i keep gravitating towards so i don't know man it's it's wild Please. i've said it to a lot of people i feel like this band literally changed my life like it was one of those fork in the road I remember being in a record store and I had a corn CD in one hand and I had a Jawbox <laughs> CD in the other. And it was like, I don't know which one to do, but I'm going to try this Jawbox route. And then that, that was it. <laughs> They're definitely the type of band that you always hear about comedians, favorite comedians. They're your favorite band's favorite band. I think so. Yeah. A lot of people talk about that band, but it's generally on a much deeper level, not general population kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because uh, I this podcast I was listening to is called Vinyl Emergency and this guy that was, was interviewing him was talking about like 
Jay Robbins is on about 653 credits, you know, yeah. for different, whether it's producing, engineering, playing tambourine, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And then I'm looking at the list. I'm like, oh, a lot of these bands are some of my favorite bands. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's really cool to see that resume. Yeah, um, I think uh, it, it's, it's interesting how everything came together with this cover specifically. Were you are, were you familiar with Tori Amos at all? I only knew her, like, you know, the, was it Boys for Pele? Was that the big record for her? I there I remember in high school, there were, like, mostly females were just rabid for this individual. And I never really explored it. When I finally did, I feel like quickly I was like, this is not <laughs> for me. Um I don't know, man. It just never, it never gripped me. And even like I said, the first time I heard this, I didn't know it was, it was just a hidden track on the album. I didn't know it was a cover until I, you know, this was like way before, uh, like you could get on the internet and look up credits. This was 96, I think. So it was, it wasn't, you had to kind of know that, that it was a Tori Amos song. Um, so no, I was not. (laughs) Not very familiar and not really a fan either. I think she's really interesting because she kind of, I think she bridges the gap between Lilith Fair and Bjork. Cause I feel like <laughs> that's a good, she, yeah. She's, she's definitely, you know, she's got Sarah McLaughlin kind of sound, sure. uh, Lannis Morissette a little bit, but she's definitely a little bit more, I don't want to say strange, but a little bit more unconventional. For sure. I mean, she did a duet with Maynard from Tool. Like, <laughs> uh, like she's, there's a lot going on there. I don't discount her by any means as an artist or a performer or discredit her talent. I just, to me, it's like, it's almost like Bjork. Not everybody likes Bjork. Yeah. It takes a minute before you're kind of like, oh, I like, I get this a little bit. I like it. There's um, a palette. You got to have, like, absolutely. you got to have the correct palette. And I think listening, especially, I remember I saw Tori Amos, she does a cover Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, oh, this would be cool to hear like a, a female vocal for this. And then she's playing it very somber. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a kid thinking like, man, this is fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> There's no th- energy until you get older and you exactly. realize the spirit behind it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really <laughs> like her cover now. And it's just so weird to, to, to see that that as growing as, as a human, but also just growing in like musical taste, you know, and it's not necessarily wrong or right. It's just different. Like. There's foods I eat now that I didn't eat when I was a kid. Right. Well, that's how I feel about this cover too. You you listen to Jawbox's version and it's in your face and it's angry and you feel like you I don't understand the words. There's a lot of things in there that I'm like, I don't. What is a cornflake girl yeah. like? But it feels very. Uh, it's full of vitriol, and then you hear her version, and it's almost like operatic. Yeah. And you sense this. There's like this angry tone, but it doesn't come across as aggressive to me, and that's to me the beauty of music, right? Like it, it doesn't have anything to do with like you could write, like you listen to old Beatles songs, right? And they're like literally talking about like, if you leave me, I'll kill you. <laughs> right. But it's the happiest song you've ever heard. And you're, I remember playing that for my kids thinking like, you know, we're singing along and I'm like, Oh my God, like this is messed <laughs> up. Like we should not be listening to this. You know, my daughter's like, Oh, this is beautiful. Like, Oh no, it's not. It's really not. This is bad. Um, that's the power of music though, right? Yeah, definitely. Do you know what this song's about? I have no idea. Oh. I have a feeling, I know I've read it and something is like I've go deep, div, deep dived at some point. I have a feeling it has something to do with sexuality or um, I think I read an article one time where they said it was about a, a woman like coming out or getting ostracized for her sexuality of some kind. But I'm again like, I'm not 100% sure. Kind of. Uh, I mean, that, those are definitely like 
pr- probably like accurate per like perspectives, but her intention, there's this book and I can't remember the name of it, but it's this book about this woman who goes back to Africa and gets like her, uh, her genitals like mutilated as part of like a, a tribal experience. Wonderful. And <laughs> yeah. And apparently, like, Cornflake Girl is in reference to the the sister of the woman who, like, did the actual mutilation. And Cornflake Girl is, it's essentially, like, a more adult contemporary way of talking about, like, mean girls clicks. Because wow. corn, Cornflake Girls are, are considered, Cornatoriums are considered girls who kind of aren't, uh you know, aren't open to things, who are very, like, conventional and who are the type of people who would say nice things to you and then, like, stab you behind your back, like, right. taking you to Africa to mutilate your genitals. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, like, genesis of it. And then uh, from there, she talks a lot about, like, what you're saying, you know, being ostracized. And yeah. and it, it, it's a metaphor, but it's also... that That's the core of what the song is about. <laughs> that is... Sometimes I miss the days where you couldn't find out what songs were about and you just were like, oh, this is cool. This person likes cereal, you know? Uh, that's wild. And it's interesting because she talks about like there's cornflake girls and then there's people like her who are raisin girls. And those are girls who are open to things, who are like open to the different cultures and things like that, which is kind of ironic because the whole thing is talking about, yeah, <laughs> tribal <laughs> culture. Um, but uh, they also, Atlantic put out like a whole like series of like Kellogg's uh, cornflakes with Tori Amos' no face. No way. <laughs> Knowing that that was the impetus for this song, I don't know if they knew, but she signed off on it because I mean, a paycheck, of course, a paycheck. yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine walking through the grocery store and knowing the truth to that situation? <laughs> oh, I think that's great. She and it's funny because when she was uh, like a uh, uh, before she was famous, she actually did a commercial for a Kellogg's like um, cereal. I don't, it wasn't cornflakes, but it was a different one. I can't remember what it was. And it's just so interesting how everything comes full circle. We right. live in a simulation sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, but no, I think she's really interesting. And as I've gotten older, I've definitely appreciated her music more. It's not anything I'm going to like jam in my car. Right. But there's some time. I, I feel like she, I think she walks so Fiona Apple can run. Because I, I love Criminal. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. Like everything from that point, you know, and, and everyone's really hyped on fetch the bolt cutters i haven't given it enough listens to really dive into it but i just that wouldn't exist without tori amos no i don't think i don't don't think a lot i mean i feel in my limited scope of her she like you said she she was kind of the martyr almost when she came out in the early 90s i don't feel like there were a whole lot of female artists that weren't singing about boys and being in love with boys and this and that like even uh was that lady Tracy Bonham? Do you remember Tracy Bonham? <laughs> she sang that song Mother Mother. Uh it's actually a pretty good it's kind of like this weird grungy uh early 90s like post rock kind of thing going on. But that to me was more like that was jarring but Tori Amos was like no, I'm going to like I'm going to jar it and then I'm going to set it on fire. <laughs> and of course, like, I mean, I can't imagine I, even women women I know I'm, I keep making this about sexuality which is not the general idea but I know women that have been encouraged and empowered by her music, which to me is the highest validation that you can have for something. Like if it's empowering you, that's good. I think. Definitely. um, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I need to revisit her music. I know I had a, I have a buddy whose wife is a huge Tori Amos fan. She's seen seen her like, I don't know how many times. And I would just, 
give her shit all the time because she would talk about it and I'd be like, I don't want to hear that, man. You know, that and like Slater, Kinney and all. And I'm like, dude, I, like Slater, Kinney, I like. But, I was going to uh, say, I like Slater, yeah. Kinney a lot. <laughs> but I would just throw it in the pot and make fun of her because it was like, oh, yeah, it's all this stuff that I don't understand. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably worth revisiting now. In I, my- I think a lot about that whole era of just, uh, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, Riot Girl is kind of coming back in a more mm-hmm. popular sense. Um, I, I'm not going to talk about Olivia Rodrigo again because I think I've talked about her every episode <laughs> so far. But I'm a big fan of a couple of her songs. Um, but I, I think it's just so interesting to see like the cycle turn because you had like Lilith Fair and you have, mm. you know, I think Sean Colvin won Album of the Year. And I was really into Sean Colvin as really? a kid. I can't explain it. I saw her live. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. How was that? I, I remember liking it. I got invited to this festival in, uh, I was visiting a friend in Raleigh, North Carolina. And the headliner of this festival was the Verve Pipe. Oh, wow. And it was on that album. The, it was called Villains, I believe, where Freshman was like their big hit. It was everywhere. And it was the Bare Naked Ladies were the set, the co-headliner. And they hadn't done that horrific uh, <laughs> whatever those. One week. Oh, my God. Yeah. like <laughs> Some of it was actually really good. They had a song called Brian Wilson that was really fun. and But they had this. It was like a mini Lilith Fair and Sean Colvin was there. Paula Cole was there. And there was somebody else. And it was good. I mean, I, I didn't know these people. Literally, I had never heard any of this music. And I remember being at this festival, just blown away all day hearing all this stuff. But anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's 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 kind of it's twofold. Because now when you say Sean Colvin, most people, most music people, like historian people are going to think of ODB rushing to stage to say Wu Tang is for <laughs> the children when she won her Grammy. That's yeah, that's her. That's what she's going to go down in history for. But I remember really liking uh, Sunny Came Home, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was really into a lot of this. I like Tracy Chapman was probably like my first, other than like getting into like Vanilla Ice and like Garth Brooks and yeah. stuff. Like Tracy Chapman was somebody I was just obsessed with. Like, give me one reason. Really? Yeah. As a kid, I remember. Talking to my mom in the car. I was like eight years old and being like, what do you think this song's about, mom? Like, <laughs> we, like... <laughs> had my legs crossed. and was like reading a magazine. <laughs> but uh, no, I was obsessed with it. My, my parents bought me, they bought me a tape deck of Tracy Chapman wow. and Sean Colvin. So, That's awesome. <laughs> but I, I love that, that you know, you know, female-centered music is coming back. And I think what's interesting about Jawbox is there's this really weird trend that I can't explain. And it's not a bad thing by any means, but... They are one of those many indie bands that had a female basis, yeah, and specifically a female basis. And they, they, the way they play, it's very similar. And I don't, not to like generalize, but it was just so uncanny. I mean, you look at, at Kim Dio with the mm-hmm. Pixies. You think you look at Sonic Youth. I mean, Kim Gordon was kind of eccentric in, in her own, but there were so many bands from that era that just like they would have one female member, and it was always a basis. But I've, you kind of, I've wondered that, and because I, I've never really noticed a comparison with Kim Deal. I mean, with uh, Kim Gordon, but the the Pixies Jawbox comparison to me, I can't help but wonder since there weren't that many female people doing it. Do they? Is it almost this point of like, oh, that person's doing it? There's this almost unspoken emulation of that's how they look on stage. I'm gonna look like that on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like as me as a musician, I've done that. I've watched bands and been like, as a bass player, been like, I love the way that guy plays bass, but not like actual technique just like the way where's this bass at how oh, is definitely. it how what kind of clothes is he wearing and that's to me the exciting part especially having two daughters i'm getting deep uh like 
they'll have more female centric things to look up to as opposed, like, not that I'm not going to show them sex pistols and all that cool shit, but like, they'll be able to go like, Oh, who's, who's this girl? Like, who is this? Well, she does that. I want to do that. I want to play drums. Like here, listen to the Donna's that's all women. Like this is rad. So I've always been interested by that too. And it is, it, it's always a bass player yeah. unless it's an all female band. Yeah. And then it's everybody obviously, but, but. there's like, in like the way they put their shoulders, like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just something about it. And I wonder if you, that's a good point I never thought of. Cause I mean, I, Pixies are another one of those, your favorite band's favorite bands. I yeah. mean, that was Kurt Cobain's favorite band mm-hmm. besides the Beatles. Um, but um, it's just so interesting to to see this trend happen. I don't, I don't want to call it a trend. It's just yeah. this coincidence, you know, but I, I, I love that, that the, the culture behind it. And mm-hmm. it definitely felt, you know, like I felt like, especially in college when I was getting into college radio and I would see a band for the first time and I see they have a female bassist who plays like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm probably going to like this band. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably may sound completely different. Right. I mean, Pixies are my favorite band of all time. And, and I think that there's just this weird, like subconscious connection when I see it. For sure. No, I think, I think a lot of people have that. I don't know. That's, I think we do that in life. Like we see things we like and we emulate it. Right. Or we identify with it. And then that's like this marking point for certain future instances. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What are, who are some guitarists that you kind of emulated? You play guitar, right? I play bass. bass, That's bass is my primary instrument. Um, honestly, there, there was this, a lot of mine were local for me. I went to college in Abilene and that was kind of where I cut my teeth as a musician. And we would go to, um, We'd play in Deep Ellum all the time at this. It was like, we were like this Christian band that wasn't really very Christian. Um, and so Amy Grant Christian. No, yeah, <laughs> totally. Really, really almost. Like, Amy Grant's kind of like the Christian Tori Amos, really. Uh, <laughs> no, there was, this, there was this band in in the DFW area uh, called My Space Coaster. This guy, John LaMonica, and I forget the other two guys. He went on eventually to, he was in Polyphonic Spree for a little bit. And then he, I think he moved to Germany for a while and he was doing like techno dance music with crazy German techno people. It was rad though. Anyway, most beautiful voice I've ever heard. Um, they were kind of like, they toured with mineral oh, in the, cool. in like before mineral broke up um, that first time and their bass player, I forget his name. I think his name was Jesse, but he was the weirdest. Like he wore a backpack on stage <laughs> and he just had this way of playing that looked really fun. Like he always looked like he was having a good time. Um, and that became a huge, like that kind of helped me get over like stage fright. And I would watch that and be like, Oh, that guy's just having fun. He's feeling the music. Let's, let's do that. Um, and then I started to realize he was probably getting that from, my dad was like a huge earth, wind and fire fan. Oh, and cool. so he, my dad kind of, he put that in my life and I never really touched it. till I got older. And then I started watching old, like live earth, wind and fire concerts. And I was like, that's what these people, like they're all just having fun. Yeah. And then that put me down a rabbit trail. Um, I always really liked the way Tom York, the way he acted on stage, he would have these like fits of just like yeah. shaking and stuff. And, I don't know. I, I always think about that MySpace hoster band. This guy, I've like, and I, every like two years, I'll Google the shit out of my, <laughs> I'm like trying to find like, is there anything out there of this band? Um, they did a couple EPs and stuff, but yeah, that guy was amazing. It was fun. 
I'll never forgive like '90s pop punk for making everybody play so low. Low, because I was definitely one of those. I did that. Yeah, and it was. I, I blame Tom DeLonge for me. That was my influence. <laughs> but then I think watching Albert Hammond Jr. and The Strokes, and he had it like kind mm-hmm. of really high. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Like it's dorky but cool. Did it blow? I don't know if you experienced this as a as a musician, but I I was a victim of that as well. Uh, there was this band called MXPX, which I think oh, everybody's yeah. heard of, right? I idolized Mike Herrera and he always played it real low and he played with his fingers when he started. So I played with my fingers. And then I remember at some point I hiked the bass up and I was amazed at how much more proficient I immediately got. Cause it was like, Oh, I can like, I can change octaves very easily. And I, I can play the top two strings now. Like it was so wild to think I spent like 10 years doing that for some type of weird, like just visual appeal. But it's interesting because I was watching the um, filmage, the Descendants mm-hmm. documentary, and I can't remember the original bassist's name. I think it's Tony, was just talking about how he would play downstrokes. I think about downstrokes, which is you know of the norm for yeah. for punk, and uh, but he would like put some weights on his wrists, and it would make him be able to play faster really? by practicing with it. And I wonder if maybe playing so low kind of ex- <laughs> increases your dexterity to where you, when you bring it up, it's like oh, a new ball possibly. Game. Uh... <laughs> But there's definitely, I tried at one point to go back as a joke. I remember playing some gig and being like, I'm going to drop my bass real low. And it was literally like, all right, man, I can hit like the first five frets. And after that, I'm done. Like my back hurts. I can't do this. Uh, I'm glad you brought up MXPX. I don't think we've ever talked about MXPX on here. And MXPX was definitely my gateway drug into punk rock. For sure. The music video for Responsibility Mm -hmm. specifically. I remember seeing that in a commercial or like in a feature during the X games. Cause mm-hmm. we were getting into skateboarding. So that was, we were already, we were probably going to end up into punk rock one way or the other, but that was definitely the, like the floodgates opening. Yeah. And I just remember watching the music video and then it never dawned on me until years later. I'm like, Oh, like his last name is, you know, Latino, like me. Oh, you know? yeah, I didn't think about that. I never, I never thought about it till I was looking back and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I did, I kind of felt kind of spoiled. Cause like I had my career and then, <laughs> There are other bands. There's a band called Auto Karate, and they're all you know a bunch of Mexican dudes from California, and I love those guys. Yeah, it, we don't have a lot, but I was so I feel so lucky to have like my career. <laughs> That's a good one again. to have in your roster, I think. Like that band, I, I think, regardless of your spiritual alignment, that band was awesome. They put out some killer records, oh, yeah. and they are. I mean, I mean, like I was around for the Green Day Revolution in the nineties, it didn't resonate with me like it does now, but I remember getting my first MXPX record was, it was actually the move to Bremerton EP before life in general. But I remember getting life in general and sitting, I think I was 15 when it came out. And I remember being in the backseat of the car, just like flipping through the booklet over and over and then reading like, who are all these bands they're talking about? Oh yeah. Like, their thank you list was like hundreds of bands. And I can really remember like writing it down and going to, you could go to borders and take CDs and like scan them and listen to like 30 seconds. It was like having iTunes without having iTunes. And I would go in there and spend hours just like, what is say Ferris? Oh, that's, Oh, this is cool. Like I famously remember there being a misprint in the thanks where they called it blink 187, not blink 182. (laughs) And I searched for like blink 187 and could never find it. Like, but man, that band that is definitely that's an important band, I think, in my musical evolution for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that I think it's it's it feels so cool that like he's in Texas now, you know, yeah. like 
I remember I was talking to somebody and they're like, oh, like, I think it might have been like my mom or someone like, oh, that, you know, they're watching Chip and Joanne or who, was it Chip and Joanne? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they was. were on that show. Yeah. She's like, oh, this band. And I'm like, oh, what band? I'm thinking some like Florida Georgia line or something. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, MXPX. What? Yeah. <laughs> he loves Why is this guy on? This is wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he comes to San Antonio and they, he was doing all those like acoustic shows and yeah. stuff. I, I didn't get to go to any of them, but. That's pretty cool to me, man. I, I saw know. them when Five Iron Frenzy opened for them. Dude. And that was a great show. And I remember writing about it because uh, there was a very large man who was very sweaty and didn't have a shirt on. And I felt like I was in that Along Came Polly movie because I <laughs> just I, I was just <laughs> full of sweat from this guy the whole night. But it was worth it. Yeah. I, I, I I'd seen that. I've seen them a bunch of times. Yeah. MXPX, but I'd never seen Five Iron Frenzy. So it was cool. I, to, that, I love that. I I don't know that I, my ska-ish, ska core, whatever you want to call that, is definitely more tailored now. But that was another really important band to me as a kid. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that band was rad. I got introduced to them in high school. And I remember they have a song called um, Milestone. And mm-hmm. I always thought it was called Nintendo because that's what it came up on Kazaa. <laughs> so I would look for this song. I could not find what CD it was on to buy it. Because I was definitely, I was the type of person where like I would use Kazaa or LimeWire or whatever yeah. to basically sample an album. And I'm like, oh, if I like at least three songs, I'm going to go buy I'll that buy album. It. Yeah. Couldn't find that album. That's crazy. <laughs> Kazaa, dude. I haven't thought about Kazaa in a long time. I ruined many of family computers. <laughs> I did too. That also was the first time I heard American football though. Oh, was, really? Uh, it was an accident. You know, you download like, I don't know what I was trying to get. And that's what I, I think it was, I was trying to get like a Fugazi record. And somehow I ended up getting American football. <laughs> it was that song, honestly. And I was oh, yeah. like, and that was magical too, but. It's the emo stairway to heaven. For sure. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's uh no, it's fine. I don't think I got into American uh, football until probably college. Yeah. It was much, much later. And it was one of those things where, like, I think I might have listened to Cap'n Jazz before, yeah. and which is weird as I skipped that whole step. I didn't listen to, was it Elliot mm-hmm. or was it Owen? Uh, Owen and Joan of Arc. Yeah, Joan of Arc. There's a bunch of other weird, the like... The Kinsella tree of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some very odd stuff. Some of it, I yeah. think. Anything with... Is it Tim? Tim is his brother. Yeah. I think that's the Joan of Arc guy. That's like a work. That's a chore to get through for oh, me. Oh, for sure. I have it's a hard time. Very Tori I like I like a lot of Mike stuff and um, yeah I, I think and I love the Promise Ring. Promise Ring. Oh yeah, no. is a band that I missed out on and I got to see them at uh, in Atlanta. They really? played they played and then Maritime played later that day, so that was <laughs> cool. And it was funny because there was a guy next to us who was like, you know, these guys are in Promise Ring, and my friend and I, because I guess because we were substantially younger, right? I was like, yeah, we knew, man. Yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, I think it's so cool to, to, and you know, Jawbox is in the center of all of this too. And, and, you know, he, uh, Jay Robbins produced uh promise ring state of emergency. Oh yeah. And I think, I don't think he did nothing feels good. I think that was Brad Wood or I don't know about nothing. He, no, they, Brad Wood did Woodwater. I don't know if he did nothing feels good. And I know he definitely did state of emergency. Okay. Um, but uh, and he did some against me albums. He did Jets to Brazil. Dude, that first Jets to Brazil oh, album yeah. was flawless. Uh, did he do all? Yeah. yeah. Did he do all of them? I don't know. I'm not sure. 
But uh, it, I had a great just. So I listened to Justin Brazil before I listened to Jawbreaker. So did I. Yeah. So it was it was cool to open to floodgates that way. And my friend, I have a friend in high school named Andy, who was essentially like my emo spirit guide. Yeah. Like he, we would listen to the third wave stuff that was popular at the time. He's like, no, you got to listen to this. You got to listen yeah. to this and know your roots and stuff like that. And he actually, we had a talent show and we were in watching his audition for the talent show and he played Sweet Avenue. And after the second chorus, he forgot the words. So in front of all these teachers, he yells, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and we were trying so hard not to laugh. Goodness. <laughs> he made it, but they said as long as he doesn't say fuck really? again. <laughs> and I can't up. believe they let him go, man. <laughs> and he was, it was a great rendition. It was yeah. pretty cool. God, that album is so good. Oh, yeah. I, I think because I had listened to Sweet Avenue, and that was like that was another song I downloaded from mm-hmm. you know, Kazad. I didn't buy the album till much later, and I realized like how different it, it sounded. You know, it is kind of post grungy, and and it yeah. I think I mean I honestly had a hard time. Like everyone, as I got older, started talking about Jawbreaker, and I even before the reunion and stuff, and how important they were. And I going from going like, oh, this is the Jester Brazil guy. And then other people are like, no, 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 it's the Jawbreaker <laughs> guy. And then he did Jester Brazil. <laughs> like if you start with Jester Brazil, I feel Jawbreaker is a lot harder to palette. Like, especially the scope of it. I mean, Unfun, Unfun's probably my, f- everyone goes with Dear You. I like Unfun. Dear You's great. Right. But those, they're like, it's like two different bands almost. I think based yeah. like that evolution of. Even vocally, it's like, oh, this dude like learned how to sing at some point. Oh yeah, right. It's, uh, it's funny because I I listen to I mean, Jawbreaker is another one of those bands it's like your favorite band's favorite band, and I hear a lot of people talk about like, yeah, a lot of singers and then like these third wave emo bands are like, yeah, I didn't think singing was important because my favorite band is Jawbreaker. Right. Yeah. Or old Promise Ring. It's oh, like, yeah. what is someone like breaking this guy's leg while he's? I mean, it's <laughs> first time somebody played. Uh, what is it's like something about cherry cola on one i think it's on nothing nothing feels good i like we were on tour and this guy put it in he was like i really want to sound more like this band i was like if we start singing like this i'm not playing in this band this sounds terrible like and then we heard very emergency and i was like if you want to do it like like he learned to sing at some point this is way better but now i listen to that stuff and it's killer like yeah. I get it now, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, I think it is so interesting because I feel like as I've gotten older, too, I can appreciate stuff that isn't recorded as good. Yeah. I think I had a, there was a point in time where I had friends who'd be like, I would they would play me something really like well done, well produced, and I just wasn't feeling it. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's not lo-fi, and it wasn't right. recorded on a tape deck, Eric. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's weird how that changes, though. Like, I was the same way. Or the, I got to a point then where I valued production so much it was hard to go back and listen to like early punk where you're like, oh, I, can, I can only hear the pick hitting the bass string. I can't <laughs> hear the bass. Right. Um, but now that stuff, it's like an evolution. Now that stuff feels good again. It's like, Oh, this is unrefined and sloppy, but real. Yeah. Right? They didn't, they didn't do 12 takes for four weeks. They, <laughs> they recorded these 12 songs in 12 minutes and then that was it. Let's go. So I don't know. It's wacky. There's definitely a rawness to it. I feel like I, I, I can appreciate the rawness and, and I, I it just it just makes me wanna play. I think my favorite type of music is the music that makes me want to start a band a little right. again. Yeah. I think um there's uh there's a band called uh they broke up recently, but Times New Viking and they are the loudest, like just the loudest fuzz I've ever heard, but not in like a metal way, but in right. a very like 
they're playing very rudimentary riffs <laughs> and it sounds almost like not so much like the lullaby side like blink 182 does but yeah. it was just very like rudimentary but i just I, it's my alarm clock now really yeah it's just it's, time's new viking all right i'll check it out they're definitely uh kind of the lo-fi like uh kind of like like mike kroll jay Riotard kind of stuff okay yeah. so but it's just not as fast <laughs> okay cool but yeah it's uh it's a lot of cool stuff and i, I just love the way everything has evolved in the past 25 years and everything kind of cycles, uh, one way or the other, something's going to resurface. Uh, we talk a lot about like fourth wave emo mm-hmm. and how these bands are, are coming out and the old guys are like, wow, you sound like like 90s emo. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? Really? What is 90s emo? I, this band Modern Baseball, the the lead singer, one of the singers was talking about, yeah, this guy came up to us and was like, you sound like 90s emo. He's like... So third eye blind? Like, what are you talking about? Really? No conception of like who like, you know, American football was, any of the Kinsella bands. And and then it's funny because now you see that was like off their first album. And then they go into it, get into that stuff. They had an Amoeba record. You ever watch uh, Uh What's What's in in My my Bag? bag? Yeah. Yeah. They're on and uh, the singer, the same singer was talking about, was like, yeah, like I always thought, and not that this is 90s emo, but I always thought the National was like, a, like grown-up band and i listened to them <laughs> i thought it was just for like dads wow and i listened to the boxer and i'm obsessed and then you see that pr- progression of what they're making now and the music wow. they're making now it's just more mature and it it sounds different but you could tell there's the influence there that's trippy i can't i guess that's how my dad felt you know when i'm talking about my mid nineties emo <laughs> and he well obviously none of that sounded like the beatles but you talk about like literally all those bands are like Beatles. The Beatles yeah. are what got me into music, right? And then they saw some punk band and then they it turned into that. But that's cool. I'm a big fan of history repeating itself and I think that's what happens musically. I'm re- I want that to happen. I just hope I'm not too old to like I hope I don't hear it and go, "Oh, like I already have a Jeremy Enoch CD, you know, <laughs> you bunch of hacks, blah, blah. Like, I hope that I can hear it and be like, oh, this is rad, you know? For sure. I, I think that there are a lot of, I think a lot of it is the people in those bands are a lot more gracious to these younger, to the younger generation in the sense that they're not acting, they're not reacting like they're better than them. They're helping them or they're learning stuff from them themselves. But do you think that has anything to do with the fact that none of those bands ever really were popular? Like... I even think, like, what, Braid, Braid is one of my favorite bands. You talked about them earlier. Hey, Mercedes, too. Like, that band was popular, but not as popular until they did that reunion yeah. tour. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, Braid, 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 Braid. But when Braid was around, I don't really remember too many people celebrating it like they do now. So I think it's cool. Hopefully, those guys are, like, that's neat that they're not taking some kind of stance of, like, yeah. like I was amazed. I said Jeremy Enoch earlier. That guy, like, if you find him on social media, he has, like, not much of an audience, which is heartbreaking to me because that guy, I mean, I saw them play on the last tour at 99 when they came back for that album, uh, How It Feels to Be Something On. And that was, like, a spiritual experience to see that. And I feel like I'll talk about that with people and they're like, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> but I remember commenting on a video on his Instagram page and he like commented back into oh, me. Yeah? That was like, oh my God. Like <laughs> he took two seconds to be like, cool. Like send, <laughs> like Jeremy Enoch did that. Right. So that's hope. That's hopeful. That's to me a hopeful thing that those guys are like mentoring or at least encouraging this new generation of people that are in some weird way influenced by that right yeah definitely and i think that because i know like Haley williams from paramore is a huge sunny day fan 
And I remember being a dumb, like, toxic kid. Yeah. When I first saw, like, oh, it's because she's dating a guy from Newfound Glory. Yeah. It's another <laughs> bunch of bullshit that yeah. I don't I believe. I just... But then I look at what she's into, and, like, she's done tons of covers in circles. She has a really great really? circles cover live. And I like to think that there are people who went home and, like, oh, let me check out let that Let me check band. it out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's important for sure. And it comes full circle. Um, I had a, a, a... It was a... Not so much a validation, but it was, like, kind of a moment like you had with, with Jeremy Enoch and that um, we had um, Emily Whitehurst, who was in Tsunami Bomb, on, mm-hmm. on this, the podcast. Cool. She covered Smoking Popes. Yeah. And Mike Falemli, can never say his last name, yeah. like, commented on it. No way. So, like, he's commenting on her, and she did a great job. And right. Like, but I'm like, it was on my it podcast. Was on you. You're responsible for it. <laughs> so that was that was really cool, because I remember looking at it. I think he might have liked, like, he might have followed us or something on, on YouTube. And I was like, wait, is this the same guy? And yeah, blew my what mind. an underrated band I oh, feel, yeah. man. Like, and I'm even a late bloomer. My wife introduced me to Smoking Popes, and I remember I always give her shit for musical tastes because we're we have a lot of overlap, but it's also wildly different. And she <laughs> played this Smoking Popes song, and I was like, "What is like?" We were in the car. I remember just being like, "What is this? This is rad!" And she's like, "I'm surprised you don't know this." And I was like, <laughs> "I've never heard this before in my life." And I went on this huge rabbit hole, thinking like, "I've missed this band literally for a decade." And then now I have this whole lexicon that I can sift through. Like, that's rad that he commented on something. Yeah, I I, I kind of came across them very similar. I had a friend who we definitely throughout high school we would show each other bands, and then like little by little. He'd show me a band. I'm like, seen it. I show yeah. him a band. He's like, yeah, come on. I already know that. Yeah. And then I think it was, we were driving around in co- uh, during college and he was playing, I need you around. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's it was, the song, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's the song. And it's just so wild because that's, uh, and Emily was talking about this and that like, you know, they, when, when they, when that song came out, it wasn't punk rock. It, I mean, it sounds like Frank Sinatra in a way, just with distortion and, you know, it, yeah. it, it's very similar to the song "My Way" by Frank Sinatra, okay. and and but just like they've got this reputation and they are who they are, and, and like Flamily also played with uh, Alkaline Trio, yeah. who's a drummer for Alkaline Which Trio. I feel like the first when she played that song, I thought, God, the sound, the cadence of his vocals oh, yeah. to me is totally Matt Skiba. Like, and I don't know what came first, but then I saw that he was related to that band. I was like, this is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> how have I, how have I missed this? But anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, it's just so interesting to, to see. It's like we were talking about earlier, like the palette and like mm-hmm. how things grow. And then you look back and you're just like, how did I ever like either miss this or how did I ever listen to this and not like it? Absolutely. I think even Jawbox, I've had that experience. The first, those first two Jawbox albums are so different. Like they're just, they're very, they're tactical. It's, there's not a whole lot of like rhythm. It's just jamming away on the instruments. Um, and it wasn't, I liked it because it was them, but it wasn't really until the past maybe 10 years that I've been able to go back to those and be like, man, this is good. Like, I like, and they, they're produced terribly, right? They sound <laughs> like they're using like boss metal zone pedals. Like, it's not rad, but if you if you don't start there and go back to me, it's like, oh, this is great. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting because we were talking about like, you know, Green Day and, and those other bands, quote unquote, selling out. Mm-hmm. But I was reading this thing about they weren't trying to become famous. They were just trying to make music their living. Right. 
And I think that's a good way to look at these things, especially, I mean, they never, they never ever like took a situation where they were going to change how they wanted to sound, right? you know, or how, the music that they wrote or what they wrote about and things like that. And I think that's a key difference because there are bands that I will like sit here and say like, yeah, that band totally sold out. And sometimes it's okay. That's, that's good for them. You right. know? But other times you, you, just because a band's on a major label doesn't mean that they're necessarily selling out. Hmm. I think I've realized about Green Day recently. My my fiance is a huge Green Day fan, yeah. and we talk a lot about Billy Joe's songwriting. It's amazing. Yeah, it, I it's shocking. Literally, like when you when you break it apart, you're like, this is so much bigger than just punk rock. Like, yeah, that guy's influenced by so many people. Um, I I have to defend Green Day a lot. Like, I get I'm like borderline obsessed at points, and. uh people are always like why are you like this band i'm like listen <laughs> like seriously there's some low parts i'm not a huge fan of like that tr- of american idiot and all like that was lost on me but even their new like their new record that last record they did i think is oh, phenomenal yeah? literally i think it's an amazing record there's one track that's total horseshit but <laughs> the rest of it's amazing and i think a lot of people aren't able to see that they're not able to see that like this is not simple stuff they're putting together like it's thoughtful and there's there's a there's an incredible amount of songwriting talent that's going into it but i remember watching i think it was like a it might have been like a youtube series or or something about green day and billy joe was talking about how he came to a crossroads and was like i could get better at guitar or i could get better at songwriting and i chose songwriting and it shows i mean you don't need to play more than four chords (laughs) to write a great song and that was uh, that was something that that the beatles proved you know right uh, I think that I mean my I, I talk about this a lot, but my favorite song of all time by Green Day is um, the Ballad of Will and Fink, um, which is on the short music for short people comp. Oh, and it's about him wanting to steal some Boone's Farm and go <laughs> make out with his girlfriend, <laughs> and that's all the songs. It's thirty second song, right. but like the way his the conviction in his voice, like. It takes me back to being a teenager and, you know, getting caught doing stupid stuff. And it's just, it, it paints that moment in time, even though I never experienced anything specifically like that. Right. Oh, that's, I mean, that's music, man. That's everything. Yeah. Everything is like, those. it's like a sample rate, you know, you're like, this is that one pinpoint of this song that was happening in my life at this time, or it reminds me of that. And for me, I mean... I'll never have that, like The Clash. They're one of my all-time favorite bands, but I'll never have that with them because I wasn't around for it. I have a appreciation and a love, but I can go to Green Day and literally almost every record be like, oh yeah, when this came out, this is where I was at, right? And then this came out. And that's, that's like, I mean, I hope I can instill that in my children, that, that level of entertainment where you're like, you, it's relational like you're you're dialed into it which to me is so much more fun than i think that's why i don't understand some of like hey i'm gonna sound like an old man but like this like <laughs> new new rap and i'm like dude there's nothing like whatever if you like it that's your own thing like i'm not calling anyone less than but it's like i guess they have those same people that like that have the same experience i'm assuming but um i don't know man I think there there are things, and the thing I appreciate about a lot of younger rappers now, especially when you listen, to, it's one of those things where I, I like it's like I hate to use the term, but I can't think of any else like mumble rap in general. Yeah, for sure. You know, I you, when you see interviews with these these guys or, or these people, um, these these specific rappers, and they know their stuff. Like they they are obsessed with the records their parents listen to. Right. And when they're using samples, a lot of times they're using samples because they know 
this like obscure jazz band from the right. 80s because of their parents or because they you know go digging through crates and stuff and i think there's an appreciation there someone once described mumba rep as like it doesn't matter what they're saying it's how they're saying it that's right. really the key to it and i think i remember i had a friend who was a real punk rock guy and he was talking about that and he was like oh you know this mumble rap bullshit blah 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 and i was like well i mean look at how some of our parents looked at like three chord punk rock oh for you know? sure yeah yeah no there's no doubt about that or even like the hardcore stuff oh, i yeah. listen to like sure my parents were mortified like <laughs> what's going on in that room why is why are they screaming why are they angry um i try to make that consideration all the time but i've got the, like one of the guys that works at our shop he's into a lot of that and he was playing this like he does it to get a rise out of me because he knows, like, <laughs> I love old hip hop, like, all and even some of the new stuff, like this dude Benny the Butcher, and like I'm into it, but it has to be musical. And then he'll be like, I'm gonna play Da Baby for you, and he put it, and I'm like, dude, can you please turn this off? Like, I don't understand it, and that's fine, but I don't know. But yeah, no, I think uh, you know when it comes to, and it's so funny, and I've, I've mentioned this before. I don't know what it is, but there is like a crop of young rappers who are like are obsessed with Gigi Allen. I don't know. That's odd. What the? Yeah. And, and you, really? I've seen several Nardware interviews where he'll talk to them about their either obsession or like how they'll bring up like a Gigi Allen like figurine and like, oh, that's my dude. And I'm like, what? That's weird. <laughs> well, even there's a weird Marilyn Manson like uh, like obsession, I guess. There's what he was at. He was at Astro World or, or what was? Oh, with Travis Scott? Yeah, I think like our, right. there was something <laughs> in here like, and I had met this guy. Mars Volta, I don't know if you guys are Mars Volta's fans. Uh, Juan Alderete, who was in Mars Volta, he plays for uh, Manson. When they were in tour a couple of years ago, he came into the shop. And we were talking about it, and he was like, yeah, dude, like all these new rappers are into Manson. We're playing this <laughs> like weird festival in Houston that he's like, we're the only band with like, we're the only group with guitars playing this. He's like, <laughs> but whatever, man, they love us. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Like they have like, one guy I saw had like a, like a friggin' pendant of like Manson, like made out of diamonds and oh, stuff. Wow. It's like, that's <laughs> so trippy to me. It's, it's interesting. I think that, I think a lot of it, there's, <laughs> there's this parallel where they're talking about and not, not to get like too deep into something I don't know a lot about, but like right. there's idiot politicians who are like, Oh, like all these kids are saying they're trans now because it's, popular to do right. it it's like no like when people being left-handed used to be like a crime and when right. it became not a crime a lot of people came out saying they're left-handed yeah because they're always surrounded by people who were afraid to say they were trans For who sure. were to say they were left-handed yeah. and to make a dumb version of this is like there's a lot of new metal fans out there <laughs> <laughs> and now new metal is kind of all right and it's okay to like it. <laughs> i mean i don't know if it's okay to like it but everyone's got an opinion it's uh, one of those things my, my brother wants to come on and talk about Limp Biscuits version of Faith and when he huh. told me I was like I am so down and it's and I listened to it I'm like this is so awful but I kind of love it <laughs> I, that was part of my like I told you I at one point had a corn CD and a jaw box <laughs> like I was a really big Limp Biscuit fan in like 98, 99, 2000 eh, maybe not into 2000 but I, sw I had this conversation a couple months ago where I was like I, I hadn't revisited Limp Biscuit, and I thought, man, I bet it still holds up. Like, I bet that stuff is still good. And I put it on, and it's horrific. Like, it's so bad. Like, content, all of it is like, like I mean, the musicianship, some of it's, you know, it is what Wes it is. Wes Borland is He's a wild guy, under, right? underrated. Like, he yeah. was a jazz guy. Yeah. 
Like he like and you hear it in like fucking nookie. Yeah. You hear those jazz chords and the way he like comes off the it's guitar. Weird intonation and like it's off tempo and he's doing and you're like, but it but then it just gets marred by the weird <laughs> like macho. I don't know. It's so I I don't know what I was thinking. There's a lot of music I can look back and be like, oh yeah, that's totally like I loved, you know, Marcy Playground and I loved uh, Matchbox 20, but that was so situation situationally, I think, appropriate. Yeah. But Lamp Biscuit, what the, <laughs> what was I thinking? What was anybody thinking? <laughs> Literally. I think that there, I mean, because at the time, pop music was definitely reaching its, its apex in terms of you've got TRL, you've got all mm-hmm. these outlets and you had like American Bandstand and things like that, but this is something that was so in your face and so like everything was being absorbed that a lot of people felt who couldn't connect with that needed to connect with the first thing that came (laughs) up. And this is why I think after new metal, like after the demise of new metal, you have bands like these pop punk bands who kind of fill in the gap. Like new metal is such a far end of the spectrum. Like, Oh, this is kind of like that, but it's not as gross. Well, that was like some 41 came out of that. There was that, and even bands like, I mean, I was listening to Newfound Glory for like four years before yeah. they hit, right? I think. Um, I think there was a lot of, that's the ebb and flow. I think there's, something is always born out of something. It's a response, right? In yeah, some way. Definitely. Um, but even that era of like Sum 41, that was another band I never, I would, people would play that and I'd be like, dude, I don't understand this. <laughs> like, it's cool. I'm glad we're not listening to Limp Bizkit, but... <laughs> It's interesting because I, I um, not to like give Fred Durst too much credit, but <laughs> I always come back to him with this. There was an interview he did with Tom Green and he put on this old man makeup and he was basically trolling everybody. Tom Green was kind of in on it. Yeah. But everyone's like, what's wrong with Fred Durst? Like what what's you know, and he was directing movies at this time. Right. He wasn't like a, a bum or anything. But he said a few things that were really interesting in that like he was talking about and he's in character, but I genuinely feel that he felt this way he's like i was got into a band because i would get picked on by the jocks at school and i'd be angry about things and i needed an outlet and that was my outlet and then i go out two three years later we become one of the biggest bands in the world and i see all these jock guys who used to guys that used to pick on me picking on people like me in the crowd because of my music and it was just daunting that's crazy yeah And his self aware one his self awareness and in two just the fact that he's able to acknowledge these things it, it made me kind of appreciate him a little bit I can't I, say that without laughing yeah I mean <laughs> it's obviously to make him it's easy to make him the butt of the joke yeah. here but like there was I remember there was a time he on his Twitter account I don't know if he still has one all he posted was like cocktail twin videos and like all this deep like ride and uh spiritualized spaceman three. He was doing all, like all he talked about was like freaking weird shoegaze tunes that you're like, <laughs> why is Fred Durst? Like he's wearing an Adidas jumpsuit. Why are we talking <laughs> about this? So, like the guy very clearly has an understanding of music outside of oh, his yeah. genre. Right. So I don't know, man, I'm sure if you unearthed old bands of mine, the demos and stuff, it's not very pretty. <laughs> so and unfortunately we, he just, he won a Grammy. So it's like, that's not going away anytime soon. It's just, uh, I, I think that that whole era it's, I mean, I obviously have a bias to it cause that's, that's my coming of age era, mm-hmm. 
but just to see all these things that that were popular and to see a little bit like where it plants seed for things that happen later yeah. i mean a band that i think is I mean, everyone talk everyone loves them turnstile is a band that i hear so many different influences not to say that they're influenced by limp biscuit specifically right. but they are just a culmination of all these different influences not just in like their music style but how they dress yeah. and how they play and like how they are live and i just think it's so cool to see this kind of coming together we always talk about how genre is irrelevant now. It's yeah. it's more about just being able to to put something out there. Whatever I like is what it sounds like. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, it's just cool. I, I love that the cycle of everything and everything just kind of coming together. Yeah. No, I think it's important. It sucks to just put everything in a box anyway, right? Sure. I mean, I don't want to hear a band where every song's like like Ween, you know, where you're like, <laughs> you're like oh my god, every album's different. Uh, the original Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone introduced Ween to me that way. They're like, "Oh, I like the old Blink One Eight Two. I'm like, "Oh, like like Dude Ranch and Eminem's." And he's like, "No, Ween." Yeah, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> well, um, so kind of bringing it back to Jawbox and and Tori Amos. Do you have any final thoughts about uh the cover? No, I mean, I I just I that song is a really it's a fun song for me because I feel like even I had to we had to work harder to listen to it because it was on a, it was on CD and it was like eight minutes like the song the album ended and there was four minutes of silence and you know there was no iPod where you could scrub it <laughs> so you literally in your car would be like you either sat there and fast forwarded it and hoped you hit it or you just waited like that was to me the treat of that song like you waited for it and then it came on and you were like song rips why is it why is it at the end and then you find out it's a cover like i don't know to me even when i was trying to narrow down what one i wanted to use i think that's why this one stood out the most because out of the other two that i was debating this is the one where the original i really just don't like like i don't if you had played that song for me i'd be like i don't ever need to hear it again (laughs) um and then you i heard this version and you're like this is amazing so i was but i wanted I, when I saw them, I was so hoping they were going to play it on the reunion. Uh, and I think they teased it. Maybe they actually did play it. No, I think they did play it. Uh, and it was rad. Like, it was killer. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought it. I totally forgot to, to talk about the fact that it was a hidden track. And that's when the, I was, I'm still a CD collector to an extent. I haven't mm-hmm. bought one in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've switched them over to vinyl because it's nicer to hold. Yeah. Um, but I, I have like over 400 CDs and those are always my favorite things. Uh, Losing Streak by Lesson Jake mm-hmm. has a pre-hidden mm-hmm. track where this guy, Howard J. Reynolds, is talking about this story that is like <laughs> my favorite thing that I love hitting, holding down reverse and with my CD player, if you hold it down too long, it will just miss it all completely. Really? So I had to like time it. And yeah, it was like a treat. And then Rubik Fish would have constantly have hidden tracks. Yeah. And then on their third or fourth album, they teased the hidden track and it just ended up being a bunch of like garbly Satan <laughs> noises. And I was like, okay, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was the fun part. There was that was like I still think there's stuff that I that I don't even know is in CDs that I have. Like because of that, like those pre, I had a CD with that. If you listened really closely, this guy would go, he'd be like, rewind. And then if you, and then you rewind it, go like two minutes or something. You're like, how do they even do this? <laughs> the pre tracks are great. There's actually a website that has like, it's basically a database, like cool. a like community, in, in, community inputted database of yeah. like all these, where you, where you need to rewind. Dude, that's Some awesome. In between tracks. I think the killers have an album that has in bet- songs in between tracks. Really? Yeah. You have to like rewind it. At, 
it's like the four track. We have to rewind that track or something like that. Okay. I got to check that out. <laughs> that sounds like I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Uh, no. I mean, I run a coffee shop with my wife in uh, Southtown. It's rad. If you're ever down there, come get a cup of coffee. Talk about Jawbox. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Cool. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs>